turn to John 5. We're reading verses 19 through 29. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn to that passage. If you have a Bible that you use regularly at home, I also want to encourage you to bring that with you to church. It can be helpful to see in the text where things are, so that when you're also at home looking at the Scriptures, you remember, you remember where things are, you've experienced where things are in the passage, and you see that it really is there. If you don't... Um, Obviously, I'd love for you to turn, at least on your phones, to a passage of Scripture, uh, John five nineteen through 29, because we'll be referring at some pretty technical details in this, in this text that we need to be looking at for that. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship in song and prayer that has happened so far. And now, Lord, we get to worship over your word. We ask that you would open our eyes to behold glorious things from your word. That you would take our eyes off of meaningless things. And that you would focus our eyes on Jesus and that we would see his glory. Help us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The very first chapter of this gospel, John, aligns our focus so that we're prepared to see as we read this entire book, so we're prepared to see what it is that he wants to show us about Jesus. There's a lens, if you will, that if you wear it by the power and the grace of God, you will see Jesus differently than if you didn't have the lens. Two people can look at Jesus and see him completely different. Some see glory, some don't see glory. What John saw when he saw Jesus was glory, which is why he says in the very first chapter, verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the question to ask you this morning is, do you see glory when you see Jesus? That's why John wrote this book. Every true story that he writes in the Gospels, in this Gospel, is more than just history. The Gospel of John is not in the same category as a biography of George Washington or Martin Luther Luther King Jr., whoever it is that you might want to read a good biography on. The Gospel of John is written so that you might see with the eyes of your heart the very glory of God and that you would cast all of your hope, all of your trust on Jesus and you would receive eternal life. Friends, a biography is about a dead person. The Gospel of John is about a living Savior. As verse 26 of chapter 5 says, the Son, Jesus, has life in himself. Life is in him. He is life. So that if you see his glory and believe in him, you will have life. So this is more than history. This is Glory And the goal here is not to grasp some timeline of events. The goal is to encounter the very living God who made you. So do you see his glory? This passage, John 5, 19 through 29, is filled with glorious, gracious, truthful words about Jesus. It's really all about Jesus' unity with the Father. If you wanted to know what's a theme for this whole passage, for these 10 verses, it's Jesus' unity with the Father. There may not be a more clear or technical passage in the Gospels where Jesus himself describes his relationship with the Father and how he himself is God. And so here you are sitting here this morning, and the goal is to see Jesus for who he really is, And to marvel at him. To honor him. To believe him. So I want us to look at three things this morning. First, I want us to look at Jesus' loving unity with the Father. And then, I want us to look at Jesus' authority from the Father. And third, I want us to look at Jesus' honor from his people. So we begin with Jesus' loving unity with the Father. uh, Just a reminder for the context, Jesus is responding to the Jews who want to kill him. And they want him dead because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And when he healed on the Sabbath and got called out on it, he didn't say, okay, I'm sorry, I forgot what day it was. He said in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. In other words, the father is doing something and Jesus does whatever the father is doing. And John tells us in verse 18 that they wanted to kill him for saying that. Because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's verse 18. 
So Jesus is claiming to be God there. He's claiming to be one with the Father. He's claiming a glorious unity with the Father. And that reality is a glorious reality about Jesus if you have eyes to see it. But if you don't, you'll think that Jesus is out of his mind and perhaps killing him is reasonable. He's claiming to have a loving unity with the Father. And so they want him dead for that. And Jesus begins not to walk away, but begins to describe in more detail what this unity is like between him and the Father. So this starts in verse 19. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Let's take a look in your Bibles at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So if you think Jesus is out of line when he heals on the Sabbath, he's letting us know here that he's not doing it of his own accord. It's not his will against the father's will. But he actually goes a step further than just saying that. He said the son can do nothing of his own accord. But only what he sees the father doing. Now, when I first read that, the words that Jesus can do nothing of his own accord those words stood out to me because there's a way to read that that sounds like perhaps Jesus lacks power as though he doesn't have the ability to do something. It sounds like perhaps he's limited and that makes us a little uncomfortable because Jesus is claiming to be God. So the creator, the sustainer, of the universe can do nothing of his own accord. But Jesus, but Jesus isn't saying that he's weak. Oftentimes you'll find that the biggest words in the Bible are the smallest. In this, in this case, it's the word for in the last part of verse 19. Jesus gives us a reason for why he can't do anything of his own accord. Let's read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Why? For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. What's Jesus saying there? How is whatever the father does, the son does? How is that a reason for why the son can do nothing of his own accord? And does that make him weak? Well, it certainly makes him submissive. The son submits to the will of the father. Whatever the father does, the son does. And what he's describing here is that that's what it means to be the son. For the son to be the son, he does what the father does. If you look closer at verse 19 says he does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So apparently 
Jesus is always doing what the Father does because he's always seeing and watching the Father. Jesus is constantly contemplating the Father. Leon Morris, a commentator, said, there is a continual contemplation between the Father and the Son, or of the Father by the Son. There is an uninterrupted communion between the two. Or we might say, a loving, contemplating, submitting, obeying unity with the Father. We, on the other hand, have a hard time sitting through an entire service contemplating the things of God. And as soon as this is done, we walk out the door and instantly God is off our mind. But the son constantly lives with the father on his mind. Constantly lives with the father on his heart. That's why Jesus says, I can do nothing of my own accord because whatever the father does, the son does. It's not a matter of weakness. It's not a matter of Jesus being limited. It's a matter of fact. He does nothing of his own accord because that's what it means for him to be the son. He is always seeing and doing what the father does. He lives to do what the father does and he loves to do it. If what it means to be the son is to always do what the father does and nothing else, if that's what it means to be the son, then of course he can't do anything of his own accord. Church, there is a glorious unity between him and the father. And this is far from making Jesus weak. It actually proves the opposite. It proves his divine strength. See, we come to the passage knowing that Jesus is God. And so we get baffled when we read, like I was baffled, Jesus can do nothing of his own accord. That's what baffles us. But what should really baffle us is that he only does what the Father does. I mean, think about that claim. The Father is undoubtedly God. He is creator. He's sustainer. He's life giver. He's judge. And Jesus is making the claim here that he is always doing what the Father is doing. It's not just a statement of submission. It's a statement of supremacy. I am always doing what the Father is doing. That doesn't diminish his power. It says that no one or no thing is as powerful as him. He's equal with God. He's equal with the Father. He has unity with the Father in a way that nobody else is able to claim. Who else? Raise your hand in this room if you could say, I'm always doing what the Father does. None of us could say it. Instead, we often feel like whatever the Father does... We're doing the opposite. He creates, I destroy. He loves, I hate. He gives life, I speak death. And so it's obvious that we need a perfect Savior, someone who does what the Father does all the time, and Jesus is the only one. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. 
He even says this in verse 24. If you look at verse 24 with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now, you'd think Jesus might say, whoever hears my word and believes me. But he says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, meaning the father. So Jesus is the one speaking. And when you believe the words he speaks, you're believing the father to hear and to believe Jesus is to hear and believe the father. There is a glorious unity in this passage. This means that all of Jesus's works and all of Jesus's words are the father's works and the father's words. He does nothing of his own accord. He only does what he sees the father doing. And he does this for because that's what the son lives and loves to do. So you might be asking yourself, what is God like? What does God do? What does God feel? What does God think? All we need to do is look at the works and the words of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus on the multitudes is the very compassion of the Father. The open arms of Jesus towards little children are the open arms of God. The gentle and tender care of Jesus for all the weak and heavy laden is the gentle and tender care of the Father. Jesus' grace is God's grace. His mercy is the Father's mercy. His reclining with sinners is God's love for sinners. As one pastor once said, there is not a secret God hiding behind Jesus. Now, if Jesus is embracing you, The Father's embracing you. If Jesus has forgiven you, the Father has forgiven you. He has a loving unity with the Father. So we see that, right? We see his unity. But I've been saying loving unity. So what about the loving part? Where do I get the idea of loving unity? There's another occurrence of that little word that's small but big. That word for again in verse 20. So how is it that as the son and what it means to be the son, how is it that Jesus does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing? How does Jesus always see what the father is doing? How does this work? Verse 20, for or because the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So the son, let's follow what John's saying here, what Jesus is saying. The son only does what he sees the father doing. And he always sees what the father is doing because the father is always showing him. And the father always shows him what he's doing Because the father loves him. So behind all of this showing, 
behind all of the sons seeing behind all of Jesus's works and words is love, not just love for us, but love between the father and the son. Church, that means that behind every act of love from God to us, there is a deeper love within God himself. Here's what D.A. Carson says. This marvelous disclosure of the nature and character of God, right? Jesus is the eternal word. He's the disclosure of God to us. This marvelous disclosure of the nature and character of God utterly depends in the first instance, not upon God's love of us, but on the love of the Father for the Son and on the love of the Son for the Father. Now, why does that matter for you? Well, it's actually great news. What this means is that the loving, gracious, merciful works and words of Jesus towards us are not dependent on us. They are dependent on the loving unity between the Father and the Son. Because the Father loves the Son, He will show Him all that He's doing. And because the Son loves the Father, He will do all that the Father gives Him to do. As long as there is love between the Father and the Son, there is eternal hope for absolutely everything they have promised us. Or put it this way. You can start doubting the works and words of Jesus as soon as he stops loving the Father. And since that will never happen, you'll never have any need to worry. That means we should grab on to every single work, every single word, every single promise with certainty. The certainty not found in us, the certainty found in the love between the Father and the Son. And so let me just... Pause at that moment and ask you, as you hear Jesus' words here, you look at him with the eyes of your heart, do you see glory? The glory of Jesus' loving unity with the Father. Now, since Jesus has unity with the Father, the second thing that we see is that he has authority from the Father. His works and his words are authoritative because he's doing what the Father is doing. And verse 20 says that the Father is going to show Jesus greater works. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him. So, greater works than just healing on the Sabbath, or healing a paralytic, the Father is going to show Jesus. And our question is, well, what are they? What are the greater works that Jesus is going to be shown so that he can go and perform them? What authority will he exercise? This passage, there's two. There are two greater works mentioned. He has authority to give life and authority to give judgment. Look at verses 21 through 22. In verse 21, you're going to see the idea of life. In verse 22, you'll see judgment. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, 
so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Life and judgment. And then verses 25 through 29 make it clear the eternal implications of this. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus has life in himself. He gives life to whomever he will. And the father has given all judgment into his hands. And one day he will call out and the dead will hear his voice. They will rise from their tombs. And there will be a resurrection in which Jesus stands as the judge. He will judge some to eternal life and some to eternal death. This is astonishing that the same one who has authority to pronounce eternal judgment upon our souls has authority to give us eternal life. It's not like Jesus gives the life and then the mean father is the one who gives the judgment. All has been given into the hands of Jesus. He will give life and he will judge. So there is no hiding. There's no running away from Jesus's presence. When you die, very soon thereafter, Jesus will call you. And you will come up from the grave and you will give an account for everything you've ever done. And eternal judgment will be pronounced from Jesus upon you and me. So instead of running from him, run to him. Verse 26 says, the father's granted Jesus to have life in himself. He is life. So the road away from death is not by ignoring death or trying to escape it or saying, I'll just deal with it when I get there or denying your sin. What you need is life and Jesus is the one who has life in himself. And he offers it to broken sinners like you and me. In fact, he's fa- he faced the very death that we deserve so that we can have life forever. I mean, it's astonishing. If you think about the first point, the unity of Jesus with the Father, that he's always doing what the Father's doing, that means that the one who perfectly does the Father's will took the judgment for those who consistently break it. And he did that so that we can be raised to the resurrection of life and not the resurrection of judgment. Do you see his glory? We've seen his unity with the Father. We've seen his authority from the Father. And now we need to ask ourselves, as we should do every time we come to a passage of Scripture, this is not... An academic exercise. We should ask ourselves, what should our response be? What is the honor that Jesus receives from his people, should receive from his people? What are we to do in this moment as we behold Jesus in this text? 
There's three things. And the first is to marvel. Look at verse 20. The father loves the son, shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. So perhaps the first step towards belief for these unbelieving Jews was to marvel at Jesus. To see the works and the words of Jesus and to be astonished. So ask yourself, do you marvel at Jesus or do you find him boring? Do you marvel at Jesus or do you just find him fun to study? There's a difference. One might lead to the other. Do you sit here this morning mesmerized by Jesus, drawn to him by his words? Are you amazed with the claims that he is making here? Are you blown away by the fact that he is unity with the Father? Are you gripped by his awesome authority? Do you fear his judgment and leap for joy at the life that he gives? Or do you read these words and hear these claims and see these works with a heart of ingratitude? Do you stare at his miracles with skepticism? Do you look upon his death with disinterest? Is your gaze upon Jesus, upon his resurrection, upon his high and lifted up position, his name above all names, his power to give life and the coming judgment that he were pronounced, do you look upon those realities with a yawn and life as usual? Or do you marvel? Church, I pray that we would marvel at the glory of Jesus. This passage also calls us to honor him. Look at verses 22 through 23. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Why? That all may honor the son. Just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is saying, judgment's been given to me so that you would honor me. That's the right response here, to honor him. Remember this theme of Jesus' unity with the Father. And that theme is the very reason why if you don't honor the Son, you don't honor God. I know there's a belief that says, I love God. I want to do what's right. I want to bring him glory. I want to live for him. But you don't need to believe in Jesus to do that. People can love God without loving Jesus, right? But this passage says the opposite. This passage says in order to honor the Father, you must honor the Son. Remember, Jesus is the eternal word. He is God the Father's self-revelation of who he is to us. He is God's greatest, most comprehensive communication to us about who God is. He is God in the flesh. So you can't dishonor God's greatest revelation of himself and honor God at the same time. When a king sends a messenger to a group of people, 
and they reject the messenger, they are rejecting the king. And this is more than just a messenger. This isn't an angel. This isn't a prophet. This is God himself coming down to us to reject or mock or hate or ignore God's revelation of himself is to reject God. So marvel at Jesus and honor him in your hearts. Don't just marvel him, marvel at him the way the people in this gospel do, where they see all of his signs and they think it's so fantastic that he can perform all of these miracles and they get their bellies filled. Marvel at him as we should and then see through all the stuff that we marvel at him about, all of his works, all of his claims to realize that he is God and I will honor him as such. So honor him in your hearts. Honor him, prize him, treasure him, revere him, love him because what you do with Jesus is what you do with God. Now would be another time to pause and reflect. What will you do with Jesus this morning? Will you marvel at him and honor him? Marvel, honor, and lastly, believe. Believe in him. Believe his words and believe he is who he says that he is. Look at verse 24 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So perhaps you walked in here this morning and you were feeling downcast or discouraged or dead on the inside. If that's you, then verse 24 is the verse that you should grab hold to and never let go. Jesus says, whoever hears the words of him and believes has eternal life. That is present tense. Sometimes we think eternal life is the thing we get after we die, right? No, eternal life is what you get now if you're in Christ because you have Christ and Christ is life. I mean, the verse says that whoever believes has passed from death to life, a state of being dead to a state of being alive if you trust in him. So you might read verse 24 as just a statement of fact. It certainly isn't less than that. It is a statement of fact. If you believe in the words of the Son, you'll have life. If you believe in Him, trust in Him, place your faith in Him, you'll have life. Now, that is a statement of fact, but it's more than just that. Jesus is giving us an invitation. You know, when you read John 3, 16... You hear it as a statement of fact, but you also hear it as an invitation of Jesus calling to us. Well, here's Jesus saying, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Whosoever will. It's an invitation. Jesus is calling. I think about the famous hymn, It says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, 
come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. And I think we can respond to that with the words of another hymn that says, I will arise and go to Jesus. He will save me from my sin. By the riches of his merit, there is joy and life in him. Church, marvel, honor, believe in the Son of God.